great the way that passage ends, isn't it? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's a kind of implicit thing there that all of this, all we're going to look at, why Christ came, why he sent the Spirit, was so that people could call on the name of the Lord. Let's be expectant of that. We may not see it yet. Jeff has prayed for decades now about, you know, there comes a time, doesn't there, when God just decides, I'm going to flick the switch now. And all that preaching and all that being faithful witnessing and all that effort we've put into our missional stuff, God says, right, now I'm going to reap the harvest. Amen. And I think there is something of that. So everything I'm going to share this morning, Tonya had a, a word around, you know, the idea of uh, Romans 1.16, you know, not being ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. There is no other name under heaven and earth by which we may be saved. So that's what this is all about. You know, the Holy Spirit, it's not just us having uh, a kind of whoop-de-doo time together. It's actually about being missional. So I just want to start off by thinking as we begin this Living Water series, I wonder what our perception is of the church in the nation. And how is Christ perceived in the nation? Now let me just say, I am very, very optimistic about the local church and about the church in the nation. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I wouldn't be committed. Ian wouldn't be committed if we weren't optimistic about the church. And there are some wonderful bright spots in terms of churches doing great stuff involved in their communities. I think we are very blessed in this town with, you know, revive. We've prayed for a revive this morning, the cooperation. You know, we hear leaders coming into the town quite taken by the cooperation and unity. And we've got to believe that counts for something. And we see as well that, that the church is respected and there is some understanding of what we stand for. But I also wonder whether there's not a lot of folks who might be more in the world of Deuteronomy 28, verse 37. I read this the other day. And it's talking about Israel just before they were sent into exile. And the prophet Jeremiah, uh, no, sorry, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not Jeremiah. It's, it's actually um, in the passage where it talks about blessings and curses. If we're obedient to God, he will bless us. If we're not obedient, you will become a thing of horror, a byword and an object of ridicule among all the peoples where the Lord will drive you. And I just thought there's something of that at large in society. The word there, a thing of horror, it's, it's to be appalled at something. Some folks out there are appalled by some of our stances on issues. They just don't get us. A byword is something representative of something. And again, you know, Christian, to be Christian used to mean something positive. I'm not sure it does across society now. We're representative of something perhaps a bit, you know, a bit narrow. Not particularly relevant, maybe. And because of that, there are, aren't there, in the media we see ridicule. So that is at large. But like I say, I'm not negative about this. I'm just trying to be realistic. We have to face these things because I think there's an antidote for some of that. But a very common reaction we see, of course, is just apathy. Whatever. Whatever. Like the church, Christianity, you try and share. Just whatever. You know, I'm, I'm pleased for you. I'm pleased you have, you have those beliefs. 
I just wondered, you know, I loved the service of Thanksgiving for the Queen for St. Paul's, but I did sit there as I'm hearing the choirs singing, you know, some pieces kind of a cappella or whatever it was. And I just thought, I wonder how relevant, I wonder how the majority of society connect with this. I love all that stuff. But I wonder how the majority of society, you know, in some rougher state in the middle of inner city somewhere, how does that connect? And we can ask then, so did, did Pentecost ever happen then? If there is this apathy at large, irrelevancy, you see, what was Jesus' explanation of Pentecost? This is what he said on Act, in Acts 1.8 before he ascended. This is, if you like, it's the kind of key verse, the the anchor verse for the book of Acts. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' explanation of Pentecost would we would receive power to witness. We would receive power to witness. So if power has been poured out on the church, why is this the perspective of us in society? Apathy, irrelevancy, whatever. And I think that should be a concern for us. I don't think we can just say, well, that's where the world is. There's nothing we can do about it. I'm not sure I buy that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've been reading him a bit this week. Some of you will know him. Uh, an evangelical leader of the kind of 50s and 60s, anchored, you know, nonconformist evangelicalism. But he was after something in the spirit. And some of the evangelicals at the time were not fussed on that. In fact, there's a well-known publisher has published a lot of his sermons. They leave out the ones that kind of look a bit Pentecostal and a bit that he's after something in the spirit. He said this, though. The issue before us is the state of the Christian church, her weakness, her lethargy, with a world on fire, a world going to hell. These are the realities. We are the body of Christ, but what do we need? The power. I'd love to hear someone now say that in a Welsh accent. He was Welsh and just had this awe about him when he spoke. There was just, and this is why the guy just preached, no jokes, no frills preaching, filled an auditorium of 2,000, just anointed to proclaim the word of God. What do we need? The Pentecostal power. Shall we not with one accord, mind and spirit? Here's, here's a line for us for the next couple of months at least, if not going forward into our future. Shall we not with one accord, mind and spirit, during these coming days, wait upon him and pray again, that, pray that again he may open the windows of heaven and shower down upon us the Holy Spirit in mighty reviving power. Do I hear an amen to that? Come on, we need this. And so we're beginning this Living Water series. This isn't going to be the be-all and end-all, but let's start to dig. You see, we believe there is reviving and renewing water out there. The Bible tells us so. But we may need to dig for it. We may need to put a bit of work in. We may need to check our hearts. We may need to come to God. We may need to bring stuff to God. We may need to, as we sung earlier, yield and submit to him, as Ali said, though, if we will engage, there may be power for us, for breakthrough. 
And I want to use Acts 2. A number of us are going to be preaching in the, series, in the, the, the sermons I myself preach. I'm likely to be in Acts 2 just looking at different facets of this. And I want to say this. I believe there's a corporate manifestation of the Holy Spirit for us that will be realized by us taking individual responsibility for our own discipleship as believers. Let me say that again. There's a corporate manifestation for us of the Holy Spirit. But it will only be realized as we take responsibility ourselves individually for our discipleship, particularly as pertaining to the Holy Spirit. That's what we're thinking about. So this isn't, this isn't for someone up front. This isn't for someone who we know gets up and gives prophetic words or you know, whatever it is, who seems to walk in the Spirit. This is for all of us. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, are you a Christian here today? You've come to him. Out of you will flow rivers of living water. Does it feel like that? Do I feel like that? Do we feel like these rivers of living water then are flowing from us? Like I say, I did have a bit of a sense that, you know, I was looking forward to a kind of, you know, whoopee-doo time in the Holy Spirit, you know, goosebumps and all of that. I've, I've been in places like that, you know, laughter and joy. And that may yet happen in our lives going forward, in our future together. But I, did, I do think the Lord wants to just practically lay some foundations for us to have faith that we can encounter him by his spirit. So let's be expectant to receive. So firstly, we're about being a witnessing community. We're to become a witnessing community. Acts 1.8 again then. Jesus told us, you will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. Well, what are we witnesses to? What is it that we proclaim? In verse 1 of Acts, Luke, writing to Theophilus, says, you know, I begun in my previous letter, the book of Luke, to about, he says, to tell you all about everything Jesus did and said, taught and began to do. So we are witnesses to everything Jesus did and said. There's no other name by which people can be saved. We're to witness to the fact he brought the kingdom. The kingdom was manifest amongst humanity in Christ. We're witnesses to his death and resurrection. We're witnesses to a gospel, good news of forgiveness. You can be forgiven of reconciliation with your heavenly father. Do we know that? Do we know God as our Father? We're, we're witnesses to restoration from brokenness, that he has a journey of wholeness for us to go on. It's painful sometimes, but that's what he wants. Jesus brought wholeness when he came. So that's what we're witnesses to. And Acts 1.8 tells us this, you need power to do that. You need God's power to be a witness, you'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. And we can't do it in our own strength. We can't know these realities of the death and resurrection of Christ, of a journey of wholeness. We won't know that without the Spirit, without the Spirit's power. But we won't be able to witness to this. We just won't have the authority we need 
God's authority to proclaim. Like I say, God can grant favor and authority. He just needs to flick the switch. I think there is something. I do, I do sense. I think God's getting us ready, or I hope he's getting us ready, by us proving ourselves trustworthy of receiving his authority and power. Let me say that again. I hope God's been refining us. We've been through trials individually, corporately. Maybe God has been getting us ready to prove ourselves trustworthy to receive that because he doesn't just dish out authority and power to anyone. He can't. It's too much for us to handle. How many people have we seen that have had God's power and authority and have gone off the rails? We want to be ready to receive that and to be able to handle that. Can you imagine if everyone we talk to, or let's say, let's cut that down, let's say 25% of the people we witnessed to got saved. Can you imagine? Say God blessed us with that sort of authority and power. Could we handle it? Could we cope with them here? Could we look after them? What would I start to think if 25% of the people I spoke to got saved? I'd start to think I was was something. You want to see me in action, wouldn't we? But what if God so has refined us that we just know it's you, Lord? It's you. I pray that we prove ourselves trustworthy. I think he may be. I think the Spirit may be looking for men and women, communities of faith that he can trust with his power and authority and presence. And pray, God, we might be one of them. Okay, let's crack on. The church in Acts knew that power. The church in Acts knew this power. And I want to argue this morning that there's a dynamic, interesting, Ian used the word um, something like dynamic. You said, I don't dynamism. You use the word dynamism. There's a dynamic to the church in Acts. And how many of us know that the word for power in Greek is dunamis, from which we get dynamite? The church in Acts was dynamite. I I don't know that we are yet. (laughs) But I kind of, not not in a destructive way, but I'd like to think there is, that God could trust us with a power that has impact, that changes the world around us, where they can't be apathetic about us because there's too much going on, too much happening. And it seems to me then there's a dynamic to the church in Acts that on the whole is missing from the church in the West. I don't know whether you agree with that. It's happening in some parts of the world. Some of us here in this room are from some parts of the world that see the power of God at work. There are communities of faith around the world today that see the dead raised, that see the blind see and the sick healed and see huge numbers coming to faith. You know, imams, Muslims coming to faith. But by and large, I don't know whether you agree with this, it seems to me it's missing from the church in the West. Well, why? Maybe we could go after something that will make a difference. Are we okay with that? Do we rationalise that somehow? don't think we are okay with that little child. <laughs> Do we rationalise things? Do we reduce our theology to our experience? 
And we change our theology according to our experience. We say, well, it's probably not going to happen for all sorts of reasons. It can't happen in this country. Well, what's a flavor of that dynamic? Well, we read in verse 12, the spirit comes. They speak in tongues. They understand in other languages. And the people are amazed. The word means to have your thinking displaced. They couldn't get their heads around it. Does that happen? Is that the perception of us in society? They can't get their heads around us. There's just stuff happening among us that is, they just can't explain. Or are they able to explain us away? They were perplexed, such that in verse 14 of Acts, Peter has to explain what is going on in church. Peter has to explain the church to them, what's happening. Probably the most we have to explain in church is kind of jargonese, that we use, or when to stand and when to sit. The things happen among us that we have to explain. Is there a supernatural element to our lives together that needs explaining? God moves. Healings. Someone brings a prophetic word that speaks. Paul says, doesn't he? You know, an unbeliever will come among you and and say, surely God's in this place. When they hear accurate prophetic voice of God, rhema word. How did you know? How did you know? And we need to explain it's the Holy Spirit. It's God. God's alive. When people's lives are just so transformed, you know, when utter reprobates just get so transformed and we have to explain this is what's happened to them. It wasn't their own strength. I loved, anyone see the um, service of Thanksgiving? The Archbishop, I think it was the Archbishop of York, wasn't it? Gave the talk. And he said, people sometimes say Christianity's a crutch. And he said, it is. It is a crutch. I would say that. I know I tried to change my life and it hadn't happened. And I needed something to help me. I needed something to lean on. It was God. We need lives transformed like that where we have to explain. Listen, that isn't just that person going on you know, a well-being course or going and seeing a therapist or something. God's done this. God's transformed this person. Don't you want to see don't you want to see lives transform like that? Well, we need this power then. We need, we need a Christianity that needs to be explained and not just explained away. I think we do anyway. So just very quickly, there are three, there's different passages in the book of Acts as you go through the book where Luke does a kind of catch up on, you know, where are they up to now? Where are they up to now? And he's, he kind of does, you know, the word spread. Interestingly, it was the word often that spread. Just God's living word among them. And he it, it kind of often cites the growth. But he sets, he explains, unpacks a bit the church culture, the culture in Acts. How do we match up to some of these? Look at Acts 2, 42 to 47. Remember, this is after Pentecost. I don't think you get this without a Pentecost. But I think sometimes we try and put this in place without leaning into the spirit like we need to. They devoted themselves. Some of this, I think we see happening in some measure. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. We do some of that. We'll skip verse 43 for now. Because that's what we tend to do often. All the believers were together. You're reading it now, aren't you? 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. So there was just this unity. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Can you flip that, James? Thanks. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we do see some of this in some measure. It means we have a measure of the Spirit. Thank God we need the Spirit. There was this devotion then. There was a commitment to one another. Hopefully, we know something of what it is to be committed to one another in local church. That's what we're called to. There was a generosity. We see a measure of a generosity. Here, there's an extravagant generosity. I can't remember whether I've just read it now, but in one of the passages I'm going to read, there were no needy persons among them. They sold houses, they sold fields and gave it away. Now, we see a measure of that. Thank God for that. There was a unity. Verse 46, it talks about that every day they continued to meet together. The word there is, it's translated elsewhere, one accord. I love it. I don't don't know a lot about Greek, to be honest. I I can read a few books, but I don't know a lot about Greek. But the word is homo thumadon. Homo, one, thumadon, passionate. There was a passionate oneness. There was, it actually means fiery. Thumadon means fiery. There was a fiery, fierce togetherness. They stuck up for one another. They were committed to one another. They just, if they saw need, they just had to, had to sort it. If they saw a brother or sister going astray, they just had to talk to them. I can't let you do this. So there's this passionate oneness. I think we see some of this, but some of it, we see some of it, I don't think we see in the measure I'd like to see, certainly. Verse 43, it says, can you flip back there, James? Verse 43, the one we skipped over, everyone was filled with awe. We're going to see the fear of the Lord was just part and parcel of their culture. Filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. There were many signs and wonders. Now, we see some measure of healing. I'm just, I just not sure we see all of that that I've seen there in that passage in the measure I see it there. I don't know whether you agree with that. We have it in some measure. But isn't there something, when you read through the book of Acts, the whole book of Acts, that says, God, there must be more than this then. There must be more than this. Please, brother, sister, friend, I encourage you, don't explain it away. You know, we could get into and we will do down the line about a theology. Is, you know, is the presence of God of the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, are they still for today? We can look at that later, but I just don't think you can explain this away. I think we're to seek God for this. So God is present here. There's the fear of the Lord upon the church. They see the miraculous. Just very quickly... Sometimes we say the greatest miracle is seeing someone saved. Now, I understand what we're saying there because the most most wonderful act we see 
is someone being saved and transformed. But the Bible, as far as I can see, the New Testament does not call that miracles. So let's not say we see miracles because we see people saved. And I don't think we see that enough. But, but that's not what the Bible doesn't call that. I understand it's miraculous. I understand it's supernatural. But it's not what the Bible calls miracles. When the Bible talks about miracles, it's talking about signs, wonders, healings, gifts of the Spirit. That's what it's talking about. And if we think miracles are still for today, that's what we need to pursue. And you hear me right. I've said, I think people getting saved is the most important thing. Moving on quickly. Acts 4, 31. It says, after they prayed, this was uh, the prayer meeting where uh, Peter was, got out of jail free. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. We need the filling of the Spirit to speak the word boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. So we need the Spirit. We see that in some measure, generosity. But we need that more, don't we? But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They had power to testify. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, thanks James, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. It's the Spirit that does this. We can't do this without the Spirit changing our nature. But again, we see there was great power. And then finally, and it's almost like these passages become more challenging. Acts 5. This is after Ananias and Sapphira had lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, you talk about church discipline. What happened to those two was they're in a, you know, quite why? Because they're not the first to lie to the Spirit. Any of us done it. Well, don't you thank God then that you're still alive? Because that's not what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. But they were in a situation, may have been, some have said, in a kind of revival situation where God is moving. And so the lying became... You know, they had to go up a level to resist the Spirit. Anyway, after those two, after the Lord called them home, it says the apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet in, together in Solomon's colon, colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. No one dared join them. Now, people don't come and join us for all sorts of reasons. But I'm not sure they don't join us because of fear of the Lord. Do they? I'm just trying to be honest. Is this landing at all? But they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. I don't get it. No one joined, but more were added. I don't know what the dynamic was. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats 
so that Peter's shadow could hold a healing meeting. Just Peter's shadow. Just Peter's shadow. There's something going on here I haven't seen. And I'm not, I'm not prepared to just say, it's Acts. It's the book of Acts. Why? We cannot let ourselves off the hook with that kind of thinking. I just don't think we can. Now, we may not see it, but let's go for it. But let's go for it. Well, I'm going to anyway. Come on. <laughs> Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. So I'm not sure I want that. Some of that going on there, impure spirits. I'm not sure I want some of that, but it does seem that when the spirit moves, the enemy has to Sling his hook. Do I hear an amen in the house of God for that? Come on. So, to reiterate here then, there were familiar elements in these churches. We see some measure of these things. But there were elements to their community life and witness, it seems to me, that could only and obviously be attributed to God. There were things that could only be attributed to God and they needed to explain that. Sadly, I think, we see these things perhaps too infrequently. And these things had to be explained. They were possible only by the Spirit, the presence of God, the moving of God, the supernatural elements, the healing, the prophetic, the awe, the authority, the power. And here's the point. These elements were integral to their witness. It was this kind of witnessing that Jesus foresaw and wanted. That's why in Acts 1.8, he says, wait for the Spirit. You need this to be witnesses. This is the sort of witness I have for my church. And my concern is, are we too often too happy to accept our powerlessness. Can I just say, by the way, having maybe stunned you into silence, that this doesn't rest on you, by the way. I'm not, I'm not asking you, are you up for this and able? I'm not asking you that. We've already said it's attributed to God. All you've got to be is willing. All we've got to be is willing. And as As we said this morning, the more willing we are, maybe in that measure, God will visit us and fill us. But if we think it is down to us, and we're going to do some stuff anyway in the meantime, God, you're not coming, I'm going to have to get on with this myself, aren't I? And we can do that in all sorts of situations. Well, he can't move then. He can't do what only he can do, because we're doing it. It just won't look as good. There'll probably be something to it. And that's why we have some of these things in some measure. Our go-to in the West is so often in our capable society, more well-meaning activity. But that all too often can lack power. You know, we set up ministries, we hold meetings, all of that sort of stuff. You know, we hype things up. The claims are made on some of our meetings. We're going to see God at work and all the rest of it. I think, I think you know, In the town, for example, we have wonderful social action. We have some wonderful ministries that I think are the result of the Spirit bringing unity and us as churches in the town. But those things aren't enough in themselves. Those things aren't enough in themselves. The church is not a charity. We're not just another charity. We're not. 
that do good. We're the people of the living God. And we want the living God among us, being himself, using us. As we proclaim him, as we proclaim Jesus, as we're not ashamed of the gospel. So it's got to be that. It's both and. I understand it's both and. But what I'm arguing for is maybe a corrective that we want to see God doing what only he can. Now, let me say as well, I believe the fruits of the Spirit are more important than the gifts. Before anyone levels that, I believe the fruits of the Spirit are more important than the gifts. But all I'm saying is we need both. And I think one of them we may have in some measure and one of these we may not have. I think, this is a ch- I think when Ali and I came up here, we just felt this was a church full of compassion. Precious people. The love this church has shown for decades now. And it has known seasons of moving in the supernatural. So we want both and. This is why Jesus died. Look at Acts 2, 38, 39. Peter after he's explained Christ rising from the dead and the folks there say, what have you got to do to be saved? Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I think... What Peter implicitly is saying here is this. Christ purchased the Spirit for us. That's a part of what he purchased on the cross. He purchased forgiveness, salvation, reconciliation, restoration. But he purchased the Spirit. He's the promise. The promise is for you. And our witness is incomplete without his power. And I think we dishonour his death if we do not seek the Spirit. I think we dishonour the death of Jesus Christ if we do not seek the Spirit and be open to the Spirit. Because that's a massive part of why Christ died. That's how Peter explained his death here. And do you remember Acts 2.22? It's the verse after that where Ali finished earlier. Peter says, fellow Israelites, he said, Joel has prophesied the Spirit's going to be poured out. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God. Now, the greatest accreditation of Jesus Christ was his death uh, death and resurrection. That was his greatest accreditation. But Peter does say here, he was also accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs. The power of God at work. In the life of Christ, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. If Christ understood that he had to walk in this, and if that was what accredited him, if that was his accreditation by God, his validation by God, was the miraculous, then we should want to see that as well. And it was this Holy Spirit-empowered culture that the church exported as they took the gospel to, em- to the empire. This is how, this was their culture that they exported and it set the Roman Empire 
ablaze. If there was time, I'd read. Virtually every chapter of the book of Acts has this supernatural element to it. Virtually every chapter, you see something. You see the fear of the Lord. You see the power of God at work. You see the miraculous. You see the prophetic. I have to say as well, you see people being disciplined in this revival culture. When God starts to move, we need to know we're in a place where we're right with him. So how do we respond to this? Hope, I hope this has encouraged you, maybe it's challenged us to just ask of ourselves, do we think this is for us today? Do we want this? Are we seeking God's presence among us like this? Let's just have a moment of quiet, shall we, if the guys want to come back up. So let's just ask the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, just be revealing to me now. I'd love to think in coming weeks and months and even years, God is going to ready us to receive an outpouring of his spirit, a renewing by his spirit, where he just starts to do things that we cannot account for. And just some thoughts you may want to just bring before the Lord now. Do we need to acknowledge our lack of power. Effectively, we may be acknowledging there we're not what we should be in the Spirit. Have we accepted our powerlessness for too long? Come, Holy Spirit. Maybe some of us, we need to confess that we've belittled the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives glory to Jesus. So in a sense, I understand, Jesus is at the forefront. But what I've tried to argue this morning is it's by the Spirit that we witness to Jesus? Have we belittled the Spirit? Have we spoken against Him? Have we mocked sisters and brothers who are maybe charismatics or Pentecostals? I think you can be a good evangelical and open to the Spirit? Have we mocked things we didn't understand? Now, we may, we may be able to take some streams in the church to task over some of their theology and think that's, you know, that's not good exegesis and all of that stuff. 
But they might have had something we didn't have, you know. They might have seen things in the spirit we haven't seen. The power of God at work, supernaturally, obviously. If we've in any way spoken against brothers, sisters like that, maybe we need to say we're sorry. I do think one of the major factors in the power of the church here was their unity. Their homothumadon, their fiery oneness. Is there in any measure disunity among us here? Have we got a beef with someone? Have we got an issue with anyone? Is there anyone I've spoken against that I need to repent of? Disunity grieves the spirit. And then finally, as we bring ourselves, let's in our hearts give thanks for the Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit that if, you, if you're able to live the Christian life in any way, in victory and hope and faith, it'll be by the Spirit. Thank Him for wonderful past experiences. Thank Him for those Let's tell him we, we want more now. Individually and corporately.